Peter received a call from a dealer stating that he needed 155 gallon top quality alcohol and could they supply it. And Peter said that they could. They agreed on a price and Peter made arrangements with the manufacturer and then proceeded to deliver them to Newark. After helping the warehouseman unload, he went into the office to receive payment, and the dealer, Harry Sharp, brought him into the office where two men were standing with him, introduced himself to Peter, and said, You had to be pretty stupid to deliver a load to Newark and really expect to get paid. Peter said, Why not? You called me, offered me a deal, we agreed, and I made delivery. Now it's time for payment. And Harry Sharp told him, be grateful. I'm going to let you leave this room alive. I would suggest you take your truck, go back to Philadelphia, and you could tell your paisan that if they want their money, all they have to do is have the balls to come to Newark and get it. Now get out of here while you're still breathing. Peter said nothing, turned and left. And when he arrived home, he contacted John. John was almost uncontrollable. He was ready to rush up to Newark and get his money. And Peter settled him down and said, This is a family problem, but it's a problem I can handle, and I can get us out of it without any trouble. And John said, They're asking for the trouble, not us. Peter said, That is not the way we're going to handle it. I made this deal, I made the delivery, and I'll make the collection my way, not yours. And John agreed because he could see that Peter was adamant. He said, go ahead, be careful. If you need any help, let me know. Peter drove to Newark and kept his eye on the warehouse from a distance and waited. And when the truck would come out, he would follow it to see where it went. And at each stop, Peter would stay a safe distance away. And he followed that truck throughout its route. And after seeing all the stops that were made, he decided on where and when he would make his move. Peter waited. And after the driver came to the designated spot to make his delivery, Peter was waiting underneath the truck. And when the driver opened the cab door to step into the truck, Peter jumped out and put a gun to his ribs and told him this was a hijack. And he simply took the driver to a side alley, thrust him up, put a tape over his mouth, and told him to tell Harry Sharp that Philadelphia had his truck and his load, and that if he wanted it back, all he had to do was have the balls to come to Philly and get it. He then hopped into the truck and headed home. When he got there, he called John, and John looked over the load, and he said, It looks like we made a profit. And Peter said, We're going to make a better profit than that, because we're going to sell the truck, too. And John just laughed that laugh of his, and said, Don't forget the Easter. Welcome back to Legacy. This is Helena Drago. A 12-year-old boy recently summed up this podcast to my husband, Ty Drago. Because we are using the tapes and story from my deceased father-in-law, Tony Drago, 
he described us as morbid, but interesting. I don't know if that sums us up, but I would agree that we certainly are a unique how to write a novel tutorial. Anyway, this is episode 8. We will be talking about writing techniques. How to write an action scene, how to build suspense, and how to impart a great deal of information in your novel without coming off as an encyclopedia. You just heard a short clip from Tony Drago. It outlines an anecdote that Ty plans on including in his book. Listen in as we talk about how Ty plans on adding some suspense to that story. That's an interesting clip, an interesting story that your father just told, but I wouldn't say there's any suspense in it or action. Um, I see the potential for suspense and action, but I certainly don't know how to create that. So what would you say? How would you improve this story? Well, first of all, you need to bear in mind that this was an outline. And in an outline, you're not building suspense or action. You're simply saying what happened, which is what my father does very matter-of-factly, very clinically. My job as a writer is to take this solo adventure that Peter goes on for his family's benefit and spice it up and make it more suspenseful. Let's look at what we have here. We have a, a lone man going into unfamiliar territory, enemy territory, you might say, and doing reconnaissance being careful not to be seen, and gaining enough information to allow him to arrange an ambush. And that ambush needs to be executed perfectly because these are people with guns who will not hesitate to kill him if he doesn't get the full drop on them. As a writer, I can dive into that and I can build the tension, I can build the suspense. There are techniques. Such as? One of the techniques in building suspense is to stay very, very much inside your character's senses. Talk about what they're seeing, what they're hearing, what they're smelling, what they're sensing, everything that's going on around them. Make your sentences long. You don't slow the pace, but even the pace out and let it slowly build. Let the tension gradually increase as your POV moves deeper and deeper into the situation and toward the moment when they have to act. You're saying a technique for building suspense is to write longer sentences. Yes. What do you mean by that? Give me an example. I know I'm putting you on the spot. You really are putting me on the spot. Well, let's say, for example, that Peter witnesses these trips with the truck. Stop at this particular spot, this particular, you know, small diner, and they park in a dark part of the lot. And Peter realizes this is a decent spot because you can't be seen from the diner. It's too dark. And when they come out, if he's quick, he will be unobserved. So Peter is stepping out of his car some distance away and approaching the truck. He's watching the door to the diner. He can't see the two men, but he's pretty sure they're in there. And he's moving along. It's quiet. Maybe there are crickets chirping. Like crickets we have. Like the crickets we have now. (laughs) So what what are you saying? So you're talking about the senses that Peter has, the five senses. The crunch of his feet on the gravel. All the things that might give him away. He's mindful of every step. And his plan is he's going to get behind the truck. And when the driver comes around, he's going to grab the driver quickly, muffle him, and then go for the other guy, go for the gunman. Or maybe the other way around. You're putting me on the spot, so I'm thinking about how to handle this. Yeah. But let's imagine for a moment that Peter gets to the truck and realizes maybe somebody lights a cigarette inside the cab. There's somebody in the truck. Maybe only one of the guys went in and Peter couldn't see it because of his vantage point. Maybe the truck was blocking his view. So now 
five feet away from this truck, suddenly he has to change his plan completely. And then he hears a window roll down and maybe a voice calls, who the hell's out there? And Peter has to act. His heart's in his throat and he's moving as quickly as he can. He has to act immediately. You can do quite a lot with a scene like that. That actually does add a lot more suspense. Um, I'm stuck on longer sentences because that's the way my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> when you say longer sentences, give me an example of a longer, what's a longer sentence? As Peter took his first careful steps onto the gravel parking lot, he was mindful of the crunch of the gravel beneath his feet, listening to the wind, listening to the sound of the crickets, wondering as he's approaching the truck, how far that sound is carrying. Oh, that's a good long There's sentence. There's a long sentence. And it, it carries all the, uh, the sounds and the sights and the feelings. This is a man in the moment, experiencing okay. everything. Okay, I get that. That's how you build suspense and you keep that up. And then when a moment comes where it flips from suspense to action, then your sentences are gonna become more clipped. The man stepped out of the cab Peter burst from the darkness. Peter hit him hard and fast, knocking him to the ground. Then before the man could rise, Peter had his gun in his hand. That kind of a thing. Give me a good example of a great suspense novel. On the spot again. You should have been thinking about this. Stephen King. Oh, he's good. Well, that's thriller. Thrillers are full of suspense. Yeah. Stephen King, I'm thinking of one of his more suspenseful novels like um, Mr. Mercedes. Uh, where, where you're stalking a killer. And there's a scene at the end of that where they discover the killer is planning on taking out an entire arena full of people. You have two of the heroes moving through this arena, putting themselves in danger, looking everywhere for some telltale clue that will indicate that's our man. He's somewhere in this crowd of 50,000 people and we have to find him and we have to find him quickly. But what does Stephen King do that adds the suspense? He does exactly what I'm describing. He talks about the noise of the crowd, how it's disorienting. He has his characters moving through it with a desperate, frantic urgency and the feeling that they cannot possibly do this. There's too many people. Each passing second, the odds of not only saving this huge group of people, but surviving themselves get smaller and smaller and smaller. Time is running out, and he does that beautifully. And he does it with long, patient sentences. Is that the only trick? Are you telling our devoted listeners that just write long sentences? <laughs> no, it's not just write long sentences. Write the right kind of long sentences. The tricks are stay inside your character's head. See what they're seeing. Feel what they're feeling. Don't stick to just what's happening. Stick to what they're experiencing around them. Write through their eyes, through their ears, through their noses. Write what the, the sweat that's running down their faces, right? That rush of adrenaline is coursing through their veins as they're trying desperately to find what they need to survive. I'm just saying that from a technical standpoint, when you sit down to actually write about all of these things, you generally want to keep your sentences a little bit longer because it allows you to build on it. Um, each descriptive phrase builds on the next within a sentence so that it, you just pile up information. Action is a different matter. Once the suspense is over and it's time to start moving, when things start happening quickly, you want to change your tactic a little bit. You want to write your sentences shorter, more precise. You describe an action at a time, sometimes two actions, play with it a little bit. But for the most part, you want to keep your sentences tight so that you're delivering information in an almost 
um, rapid-fire staccato so that suddenly your reader is being pulled into all of this activity and they can't look away because one thing's happening after another in rapid succession. That's how you handle action. And that allows for a sense of immediacy, whereas the suspense is more intimate, the action is more immediate. That's a good way to describe it. And we mentioned Jack Reacher yeah. and Lee Child's books before, but he is like the master of these short staccato sentences that builds the action because it's all about action in those books. It's a pleasure to watch him write an action scene because he, he really knows how to do it very well. Lee Child creates these action scenes that are very precise that when Jack Reacher starts moving against five or six guys or however many he's fighting, the sentences come out sharp and fast and they're step by step. He explains exactly how he strikes these men down. His method of doing it is very entertaining and very engaging and um, while I'm not going to mimic that, that's a prime example of how you write action. All right, we're going to change tactics a little bit. As our listeners should be aware of, you have a new book that has just been published called I do. Torque. Yes. Torque is a young adult science fiction dystopian superhero novel about a young man in a far future, a distant world that is very different from our own a self-contained world where there are only so many people and people are trying to survive and there's a fierce dichotomy between those who have everything and those who have nothing. And this young man sees his hero, Torque, die fighting for truth and justice and subsequently discovers that Torque was not what he thought Torque was. And disillusioned and heartbroken, he decides to give his world a new Torque, a better Torque. Just came out beginning of October. Very excited about That's it. it. That is exciting news. And I would encourage our listeners to look it up. You can find it on Amazon. T-O-R-Q. T-O-R-Q. There is a reason why we're bringing up Torque, and that is about exposition. In particular, it's a steampunk science fiction kind of book where you do a lot of world building. How do you do all that exposition without being... An encyclopedia. You do exposition in different ways depending on the type of book you're writing. In a book like Torque, where you're dealing with a very alien world and, and a very alien culture, you have to bring your reader into it, but you can't hit them over the head with it. You can't say to the reader, this is the world I'm writing about, and this is how people live, and these are the problems, like you're ticking things off a shopping list. You have to bring them into it through the character's eyes. One technique for doing this is a character in Torque called No Name, who appears to be a boy of about eight. Our hero, Rand, when he comes across this boy, is astonished that the boy knows nothing about the world in which they both live. So Rand finds himself having to tell him things that, as far as Rand is concerned, should be perfectly obvious to anyone. That technique allows me to bring the reader along as No Name is learning. What you're saying is one technique is to have a innocent or a uneducated person in your narrative so that somebody, a character, can bring them up to speed. Exactly. Another technique is to introduce the world through action. You have events that are unfolding, and instead of saying, this is what the setting looks like, this is what the world is like, and then going into the action, you let the action describe the world around them. You use descriptive phrases that are built into your action scenes. 
so that your reader gets a handle on what's going on, not only just what's happening, but what's going on around what's happening. Give me an example. Well, in Torque, they live in a giant broken machine, two miles high, a mile square, no doors or windows, so they, as far as they know, the outside world doesn't exist. In the middle of this machine, about halfway up, there is this huge area called the middle that I simply, when I, when I first introduced it, Rand takes no name to see the middle. And while he's there, he witnesses Torque getting into this huge fight against the baddies. Rand finds himself jumping into that fight to help his hero. And in the process of this, he runs through different parts of the middle, and they, you start seeing the parts of the middle where the shops are. You start seeing the parts of the middle where the churches are, where the factory are. And in that way, I introduce the parts of the middle. And you do it in short staccato sentences because it's action. For the most part, <laughs> yes you do. You learn quickly, Grasshopper. <laughs> the important thing to remember, getting back to the book we're actually writing now, is that you don't throw information at your reader. You let the reader absorb it as your characters do. Peter, John, and Angelo find themselves in a new world. So I let the reader understand 1915 America through their eyes as they see it. And that allows me to put out information at a steady but digestible pace that the reader won't feel like, oh man, this guy's hitting me over the head with all this description. Whether you're doing exposition, suspense, or action, it all comes down to your character, your point of view. Don't tell us anything. Show us what the character is seeing. Show us what the character is hearing and feeling and let us experience their lives and their world as they do. And that is the cleanest, most relatable, most intimate way to pull anyone into a reading experience. And can I just say for the record, that cricket going, eh, 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 is getting on my nerves <laughs> to your listeners. <laughs> I've already named him Harvey. <laughs> months now since we have started these podcasts and have taken you on Ty's book writing journey. I hope you have started your own journey and are using the tips we have been discussing to help you develop rich three-dimensional characters, scenes filled with suspense and action and maybe even a little romance. I know Ty is clacking away on his laptop every day and is probably about halfway through his first draft. Our next episode, we will be discussing a technique that will guide you as you build the world you're developing in your novel. It's a technique that will help to combine your manufactured people, events, and places so you have a rich, three-dimensional story. Check out Ty's new book, Torque, T-O-R-Q, found at Amazon. And as always, thanks for listening. Legacy was written and produced by Ty and Helena Drago. The music you are listening to is called Gimme Back My Yaya by Dan Leibowitz, found on YouTube's library.